Hey friends, Pastor Marco here. First of all, thank you for listening to the weekly podcast. I want to um, encourage you to do something. If you listen to us from a different state or a different country and you love the church and you want to be more connected to it, we are now opening it up for people to host new life communities from where they are. And if you're interested in being one of those people that can uh, host a watch party of our services where you can invite your friends, your loved ones, your co-workers, your neighbors or whatnot to come and be a part of it, uh, email us at info at newlifesouthcoast.com because we want to be able to have pockets of new life communities all over the nation and all over the world. So if you're interested, get back to us. Uh, we would love to connect with you. Also, if you're closer and you can be in the physical building, our services now are at 9.15 and 11 a.m at our New Bedford location and 11 a.m. at our Forever location. The best way to stay connected is by downloading our church app. Go to the browser um, and just type in New Life South Coast and our app will pop up on Apple or whatever else that you use for you to stay connected. I pray that today's message as usual will encourage you, challenge you, and, and bless your walk with the Lord. If you have your Bibles today, our Bible reading is going to come from the book of Luke, chapter 1. Book of Luke, chapter 1. It's Christmas week, so I want to get us in that mindset. And one of the challenges of Christmas, if you've been in the church scene for a little bit, is how familiar you can become with the Christmas story. Matter of fact, I would tell you this. Let me just start preaching right in the introduction that one of the major challenges of growth in any area of life is familiarity. Some people don't need the enemy to do anything because they're too familiar with everything. Like some people walk into church, they know what's going to happen. We do three songs, the pastor's going to get up there, he's going to yell, <laughs> and then I can go home and watch the Patriots. Right? Familiarity, they say, breeds content, right? I think it's deeper than that. I think familiarity stumps growth. I think familiarity keeps you from growing. I think you could be, you could be in church for 50 years and, and still be a toddler in the faith because you're too familiar with church. I think you could be in a, in a marriage for 20 years and be a toddler in your marriage because you didn't grow in your marriage, because you became familiar with your spouse. You know, I think you can, you could grow a business and that business could, could, could plateau because you got too familiar with it. Like, I, I think every area of life, familiarity is one of the greatest challenges to growth. So if we're going to go anywhere today, we have to first acknowledge that, that when we get to the Christmas story, it's so familiar that we might miss what's really going on. And I believe one of the challenges of being a believer, especially when you've been a believer for some time, is to fight familiarity, is to ask the Lord to give you fresh perspective to give you a fresh heart because the story may be old, but the spirit is so relevant and he always something new that he wants to share with us. Always something new that he wants to reveal to us. And if I just show up with my familiarity, I might miss it. Are you tracking with me? So first of all, you, you have to have that mindset. Like I came to receive something from you, God, and I'm not going to let familiarity get in the way of what you want to say to me. And so before we read this, I want to give you a background here. We, we're going to read a prophetic word from a man named Zechariah who was a high priest in the temple. And Zechariah had a wife named Elizabeth that could not have kids. 
until the angel came and said, you are going to give birth to a child. So I don't want to talk to you about the child you're thinking about. I want to talk to you about a second child in the story of Christmas. A child by the name of John. And most known as John the Baptist. And I think there's a lot here for us to unpack. If you can get your familiarity out of the way, can you say amen? So here is Zechariah prophesying when they were dedicating John the Baptist in the temple. Because in that tradition, after eight days, you bring the child to the temple and they dedicate him to the Lord. And he couldn't speak throughout the whole pregnancy because he kind of doubted God. And, and, and the angel said, listen, you're going to go mute until you have this baby. Which, to be honest with you, it sounds like a punishment, but I think a lot of us could benefit from going mute. <laughs> That's a radio word. Uh, look, watch this. He prophesies this. He says, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now he will be, we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant. The covenant you swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And then he's, he prophesies over his son, John. He says, you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. Because of God's tender mercy, the morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Basically, he's describing Christmas. He's describing Jesus. And then last verse 80, John grew up and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he began his public ministry to Israel, can you say amen? For many, many centuries now, since Jesus walked the earth, Christians have celebrated what we call the Advent. Many Christian traditions will take the, fir- the, the four weeks prior to Christmas to focus on Advent. Advent means the coming or the arrival, right? And so today, this Sunday would be the last Sunday before the arrival or the coming of the Lord. And the reason why they begin to do that over the centuries was because they didn't want to become too familiar with this reality that, that God came in the flesh in the form of a baby to give us life. And so those four weeks was a way of preparing our hearts to once again have a fresh revelation and understanding of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Are you tracking with me? And so there's three ways to look at the word Advent or the coming. There's three ways for us to constantly be looking at this so we don't become too familiar with the story of Jesus is this, is this three ways. First of all, Advent is about celebrating the fact that Jesus came 2,000 years ago. We look to the past. We look to where God has been already. 
right, in order to celebrate the present that Jesus comes to us now in this moment. Like today, all over this country, all over the world, people are celebrating this Jesus. And like I said, you can come to church and leave the same way, but some people are going to get to Jesus and live differently because Jesus is alive and well in the present time as we speak. And then we look forward to the future where Jesus is coming back one day, not as a baby, but he's coming back as a king and as the judge of the world to set things right and to set his foundation on this earth. Like Jesus has come, Jesus is here, and Jesus will come back again to rule as the king and judge of the world. Can you say amen? So as believers, it is up to us to keep drawing deeper in the will of God by not becoming familiar with the story. Now, the story is powerful because the story is just not about Jesus, but it's about us. And here in the passage we just read is the fact that Jesus had prophesied in the Old Testament that someone would come and prepare the way for him. Like someone would come before Jesus to kind of be the the opening act to Jesus' arrival. Like every time you go to a concert to see your favorite band, there's always the opening band before the actual band. Or maybe two or three of them. And sometimes you got to endure through all of them, depending on good or bad the bands are, to get to the main band. And so John the Baptist was the opening act to Jesus' ministry. And if you know the Old Testament, you know that the Old Testament has been prophesying that this, this prophet would come and he will kind of clear the way for people to be able to receive from Jesus himself. When the angel showed up and, and spoke over Zechariah, and Elizabeth, here's part of what the prophecy was. The angel said this about John the Baptist. He says, he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. Now, Elijah is one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. What, what the angel is saying is, man, this kid is going to have the same power. He's going to have the same prophetic strength on him like Elijah had in the Old Testament. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. So the job, the calling of John the Baptist was to prepare the way. That is the title of this talk, Prepare the Way. And if you are a follower of Jesus, that calling is on your life as well. Your calling is to prepare the way for the Lord. Like this is not just a one person's calling. Since Jesus left the earth, he sent all of us out to prepare the way for him so that others can come into the saving knowledge of who he is. Can you say amen? John the Baptist to me is the ideal example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. John the Baptist simply lived to do his job or his calling. Now, I'm going to intertwine the word job and calling a lot because a lot of times we have a tendency to think some people are called. But the Bible says, no, all are called. Many are called, few are chosen. Why? Because not everybody heeds the calling. Are you tracking with me? But what I love about John the Baptist is as as you study his life, The man 
understood the calling, the man embraced the calling, and the man lived the calling. He understood it, he embraced it, and he lived it. Fast forward to the beginning of John's ministry. Now, John and Jesus was, was they, were, they were close in age. John was probably born six to eight months before Jesus was born. So Elizabeth actually goes to, vi- Mary goes to visit Elizabeth and they have this encounter where the, the babies in the womb had a Holy Ghost moment. <laughs> right? And so she was only a few months ahead of Mary. So they basically are the same age, but they didn't grow up in the same neighborhood. Are you tracking with me? So John begins his ministry and he begins to preach Repentance, and he begins to baptize people, and he begins to gather a huge following. Many people were coming to John to hear him preach and to get baptized by him. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, John already had a ministry. John was already doing his thing, preparing the way for this Jesus that he hasn't even seen in person yet. He was just doing it out of faith and out of calling and he believed that God was using him. Are you tracking with me? We're going somewhere here. And so when we get to John chapter 3, it's interesting to see this dynamic between Jesus and John for the first time as they see each other as adults. Right? Watch this. In John chapter 3, John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, which means teacher, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identify as the Messiah, is also baptizing people. And everybody's going to him instead of coming to us. Interesting. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you, I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. My friends, I could spend countless weeks just on this scripture right here. I love this scripture so much. Why? Because here is a man who has a following and people are coming to him and he's preaching. He's like the kids would say today, he's killing it. (laughs) He's killing it. They love John. They love what he's doing. And here is interesting because Jesus comes on the scene and and he knows I'm just here to prepare the way for Jesus. But his followers don't seem to understand that. And they're like, hey, they're going to him. We're supposed to be it. Why are they going to him? We've been killing it. Why are they focusing on him? We're losing our crowd. We're losing our audience. We're losing our job. We're losing our income. We're losing. Why are they going to this guy over here. Let me cut to the chase. You will either build your platform or you will build God's kingdom. Yeah. 
What I love about John is John knew his place. He knew his calling. And he knew it wasn't about me. I'm just here to prepare the way for the Messiah, the real one. Bottom line is, if you're really a follower of Jesus, you have one job. It's to be the supporting cast. The problem is, we live in a day and age now where everybody wants a platform. And no one understands why you were given a platform in the first place. Now, let me go a little bit deeper. What I'm seeing in our society right now is, is people who want a platform for their glory, not for God's glory. We got so-called believers who all they do is boost themselves up. And not knowing that you were just called to prepare the way for the Lord. God never called you to be the starring role. He called you to play the supporting cast in his kingdom. The whole purpose, every, think about this, understand this. If you have a platform, God gave it to you. And if you have a platform, God gave it to you to glorify him. Now, let me break down platform. Platform is anything that is in your position, but it doesn't belong to you. Think about this. To become a Christian, you surrender your life to Jesus. So think about this. If you surrender your life to Jesus, that means everything is under Jesus' lordship. Like there's not an area of life that Jesus won't touch. Now can I poke a little bit? Like your money belongs to Jesus. Your Instagram belongs to Jesus. Your Facebook belongs to Jesus. Your 3 a.m. belongs to Jesus. And your 3 p.m. Your marriage belongs to Jesus. If you own a business, it's Jesus. And if you get to do anything remotely close to serving him, it's because he's allowed you to serve him. So, bottom line is, I don't know where we get this from, but there's really no room for pride in the kingdom of God. If we're playing our role correctly. There would be no jockey for position in the church if we knew that we're all called to prepare the way. Like if we truly knew God as the God of the universe, we would understand the very breath that you breathe is a gift from him. So who are we to puff our chest and to think like we arrived? Like you hear some Christian says, I've been a Christian for 25 years. Well, here's a lollipop. You've arrived. All the Christians who have the mindset of, I don't do that, so what do you do? What do you actually do? Like when I go teach at the ministry school, I always tell the kids, like, hey, you told God to use you, right? So you can't ask him to use you and then, dis- and then determine how he's going to use you. So if you say, God, I'm yours. You have my heart. And he says, oh, word. You ready to prepare the way? Well... The way my schedule is set up, I can only serve you every other month. You see how ridiculous we sound? You ever talk to people who think like they're the Messiah and Jesus is here to serve them? 
I want, I want you to do an exercise with me. Next time you're in a bookstore, go to the Christian session and see how many books that is all about God blessing your life, not you blessing God. We have a saying in this nation, God bless America. But I think we've got to ask the question, is America blessing God? And we all pray, God bless me, bless me. But when was the last time you blessed God? Because that's the calling, is to be a supporting cast. It's whatever platform I have, is to give God the glory. No wonder we keep seeing people fall from grace and we all are shocked. We're shocked because we bought into the celebrity culture instead of buying into the service culture. That we're just here to prepare the way. And perhaps we wouldn't be so shocked if we didn't all drink the Kool-Aid of celebrity and thinking that's what following Jesus looks like as opposed to actually get in the trenches and serve as he calls us to all serve, not some serve, but all of us are called to prepare the way for the Lord. Can you say amen? Basically, my friends, your platform is your life. And your life is your ministry. Everything that you do is an extension of that reality. Imagine if we approach life that way. Imagine at home you decided, spouse, you are my ministry. I'm here to serve you. Imagine if we start doing that to each other. Kids, I didn't just have you. I'm here to prepare you for the Lord. Imagine how parenting would be different. Imagine how our business would be run. Jesus, you gave me this business. I'm here to prepare the way for you to rule through this business, to have your way through this business. Jesus, you gave me a gift, and I'm here to point it right back to you so the world know where the gift comes from, where the ability comes from, where the anointing comes from, where the power comes from. Everything comes from the Lord. In other words, can we get good at playing the background? It's one of my favorite songs by Lecrae. I can play the background because I know sometimes I get in the way. Like, if we can be honest, a lot of times we don't need the enemy. We are the enemy. We get in the way. We get in the way. We get restless and we want to do more than what the Lord asks us to do. I'm preaching such a good word today. What if we became second and loved it? Because that's what John the Baptist was trying to teach us. He's like, bro, I'm good. I'm good being the best man. You don't find people talk like that. Right? It's about me, myself, and I. It's about me, my platform, my thing, my thing right now, right now. And social media has made us all jacked up. Because we all have a platform now. For the glory of the Lord. <laughs> what if we get really good at being second? What if that became our goal? Like I want to be the best second ever. What kind of world would this be? What kind of church we would have if Christians were so bent at being second? Can you imagine that? No, 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 you, man. Oh, not me. 
Now, let me, let me, let me, let me make some, some things clear. I don't mean the false, if you know me, you know I'm not into Christianese. Not a big fan of the religious language. I'm a, I'm a fan of action. I'm not a fan of false humility. That's why I can tell you, like, I like to look good. I'm not going to give you the false humility thing. Right? Because the false humility thing to me, it wreaks pride on a religious level. Right? I, don't, I don't mean, you know the, 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 the sour saints? I'm just serving the Lord. It's like, you don't look like you're having fun. You ever hear people hit you with that? I'm just here to serve the Lord. Like, can we, can, we, can we clear some things out of the way here? How do you serve the Lord if you're not serving people? How? Hey, I'm telling you, there's a lot of Christianese that makes no sense. You don't serve God. God doesn't need you to serve him. Matter of fact, God says, the way you show me that you love me is how you serve people. But there's a lot of that nonsense in the church. Because here's what happens. Sometimes there's an opportunity to serve, but we won't serve because he doesn't fit the way we think we should serve. We stop putting parameters on how to serve God, and then we miss God. Because we decided how I get to serve God. You know, I, I have this joke with the staff. I'm still waiting for Jesus to tell me my job is to just be a pastor. But you hear people say that. Oh, my job is to be a worship leader. Wait, so you will never do anything else? Who decided that? Show me the heaven account. <laughs> Behold, Joe's job is to just lead worship. No, Joe's job is to prepare the way. It might be through worship one day. It might be through maintenance another day. It might be through parking. It might be to just being a dad. Hey, there's a lot of nonsense. And here's another false humility thing. If you're truly serving the Lord, it comes from a place of joy, not obligation. No one has to make you serve the Lord. Matter of fact, the moment someone has to make you serve the Lord, it's no longer serving the Lord. We don't serve the Lord reluctantly. You serve the Lord willingly, joyfully. Because you want to. You don't have to. So as my prayer for me, my prayer for you is, can we play our roles really well? And the way you know you're playing it well is because you're enjoying it. I think one of the critical ministries that we have is the parking ministry. You know why? Because the message begins in the parking lot. It, it breaks people down. But if you're in a parking lot grumpy, you're hurt in the message. Park over here. And then, ever meet a grumpy usher? Sit down. What are you doing? I'm serving the Lord. Oh, you ain't serving nobody. Please go home. All right, that's the beauty of this church. That we have people who willingly, joyfully serve God. I love that about this place. I drop my kid. My, I have a teenager now, which is crazy. I drop her off for youth on Friday nights. 
And every week when I drop them off, there's always at least one or two guys out there playing security for our youth. And I think, man, you guys are my MVPs because you get it. It's a Friday night. You could be out serving the Lord, but here you are really serving the Lord. And then we got these amazing youth leaders who could be serving the Lord, getting lit, but they're here in the church serving Jesus by serving the youth. That to me is the real thing. So spare me from people who will put requisites on how they're going to serve God. Just save me from those people. Because I, I don't want to give my life for that. I don't get into church politics and all that nonsense. If you really know me, like not think you know me. Because people will see you up there and they think they know you. But if you really know me, you know that this is what this is all about. Can I play my role and play it well and love it? Yeah. My thing lately is you don't want to do it, don't do it. That's how I feel. Like there's, there's no bones about it. You would, this is something that you want to do because the Lord puts it in your heart to bless people. Not because you have to do it. And I've read the whole thing, and I'm almost done with it again, going through it again. I didn't read one time that he said, hey, I want you to go to a building and sit down for a couple of hours every week, and that is serving me. Just haven't found it yet. A couple of observations about John that empowered him to do what he did. I don't know if you noticed, but he said John grew up in the wilderness until his public ministry. What does that mean? Well, John embraced the wilderness because the wilderness is a symbol of the seasons of obedience when no one's watching you. Almost every person that God uses goes to the wilderness first. Jesus himself goes to the wilderness for 40 days before he comes out and starts his public ministry. Moses goes into the wilderness. Elijah goes into the wilderness. Paul goes into the wilderness. Every person who wants to be used by God first goes to the wilderness. So God, you know, I pray we catch this this Christmas. I don't know if I can get you to get to where I'm trying to go. It's in the wilderness that God knocks off all the nonsense out of us. It's in the wilderness that God's like, let me work on that pride. Let me work on that ego. Let me work on that thing that you think you got going on. It's in the wilderness that God will strip you bare until you just you realize, wow, it's all about you. It's in the wilderness that God will take the selfishness out of us and put selflessness in us. It's in the wilderness that God will take false humility out of you and truly make you humble. It's in the wilderness that God will take that, that drive that we have to be right and make you righteous. It's in the wilderness that God will show you what false humility is and what integrity is. It's in the wilderness that God will strip all of that until you learn to obey him. And if you're taking notes, God develops us in the dark. Remember the days you used to go to CVS to get your, your camera developed? You don't get it right away. Why'd they go? Take the film out in the dark and develop what you took in the light. 
That's where God develops us. It's not on the limelight. It's behind the scenes where no one's watching. That's where God truly develops you. You know, the, the young kids who want to preach always are concerned with, Pastor, how do you do it? I'm like, focus on the dark. Because if you're on the dark, God will always use you in the light. It's what you do when no one's watching you that makes you a person that God can trust to use. It's when you cultivate intimacy with him because you love him, not because you're looking for attention. This generation struggles with that because they grew up with too much attention. They don't know how to be in the dark. And if you're a millennial here, can I encourage you? Shut off your, your Instagram and go live in the dark for a bit. Watch how your mental health will grow. Stop worrying about everybody's opinions and likes and dislikes. And go worried about the God of the universe that created you and likes you and loves you. This is a life, my friends, devoted to spiritual disciplines, not sweets. Speaking of sweets, the, the other observation from John's life is, is diet. If you know John's story, the man was a little weird. He lived in the wilderness, he wore camel skin, he ate locusts and honey. But there's a powerful lesson here. And I, I pray you catch this because this goes a little deep. He abstains from certain things because when you abstain from certain things, you're making room for the things that only God can fill you with. Restricted diet means that my life is too precious for anything to come into it. I'm not just talking eating here, my friends. I'm talking everything that you bring into your life. A, restric a restricted diet is what opens room for the anointing of God. Because when you're restricted, you're hungry for him. When, when you overeat, you will never fully understand what you're hungry for. Oh my goodness. This is, y'all ain't ready. Hear me, hear me. If we indulge in everything, we will never acquire a taste for the things of God. If you watch everything, eat everything, touch everything, walk with everybody, sleep with everybody, you will never fully understand the power of God over your life and the anointing that comes from being restricted and saying, God, I'm making room for you. Holiness is still God's will for us. And there's no seeing God without holiness. You know, January is coming. Why do we fast? We fast so we can be hungry the right way. problem with our society is we overdo everything. We have no self-control. We binge watch. We binge eat. We binge relationships. We binge church. But we're still empty. Because we're not restricting our diets to really get an appetite for the things of God. I'm preaching deep today. And you know what happens when you live in the wilderness and you have a restricted diet? God pays attention. 
Whose compliment would you want more in this life? If not God's compliment. Who would you want to say, you, <laughs> you are something. Can I prove it to you? Look what Jesus says about John the Baptist. The greatest compliment Jesus ever painted anyone was to John the Baptist. Look what he says. I tell you the truth. This is Jesus' words. Of all who have ever lived. This is Jesus, God. He's known everyone. None is greater than John the Baptist. How would you like Jesus to compliment you like that? That's crazy. This is Jesus. He's lived forever. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Like he's been there from the beginning. He's seen people like Moses. He's seen people like Mother Teresa. He's seen Martin Luther King Jr. And he's like, no, 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 <laughs> Y'all don't know John the Baptist. That's the man. You want to kill it? Be like John the Baptist, who knew his job, who played his role really well. Because at the end of the day, I don't care how many likes you get on Instagram. I want Jesus to like me. I want Jesus to say. This, we need to frame this and see this every day and make that our goal. God, I want you to be proud of me like you were proud of John the Baptist. Because at the end of the day, we're still that little kid. All of us have that little kid in us. We want someone to be proud of us. Guys still tap each other on the butt. It's our way of showing, good job. We still want that. And those who say they don't want it, they're lying. I don't want anyone to like me. Well, you wouldn't be saying it if you didn't. John gets the greatest compliment in the history of the world. The God of the universe says, man, there's no one like that dude. It's too bad, right? The role models in our society, don't even come close. The people that we look up to, that we emulate, are all people who are saying, go for yours, get yours, watch this, do use. And John doesn't even have an Instagram account. But you know who knows his account? The God of the universe. Because nothing you do for him returns void. So how, let's get practical. How do we prepare the way? How do we fight against familiarity and be like John the Baptist? Because that's my prayer for us today. As I was all week getting ready for this message, God, make us like him. Make us like him. First thing is, go ahead. You've got to be intentional. The reason why we become familiar is because we're not Intentional. God gives everybody a honeymoon season. You know the honeymoon season when you're feeling goosebumps and you're crying all the time. Jesus is awesome. I can't get enough. And then one day he pulls back. Why? Because he wants you to follow him, not follow your feelings. God is not a feeling, he's not an emotion. God is the ultimate reality in life. So we seek him on purpose, not because we felt like it. You know how many people are not here today because they didn't feel like it? Well, guess who's not closer to being like John the Baptist? I don't feel like serving. Oh, you think that he felt like going to the cross? You actually think, oh my God, I feel so amazing. I want to go die for you guys. 
He said it, God, is there another way? But not my will, yours be done. Can we be Christians who actually look like the Savior? Because, man, some of this stuff is just appalling to think. Man, we, I was making fun of our media guys. I'm like, you guys are doing too much with the cross. It's a symbol of death. It's not a blink. We'll keep blinging this thing. <laughs> I was sending the wrong message. Look at my cross. No, the cross is come die so you can actually live. Die to your selfishness. Die to self-righteousness. Die to your own desires. Die to your own ways so you can actually live like John the Baptist. That's the cross. If any man wants to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me, says Jesus. You don't pick up your cross because you felt like it. You pick it up because you're intentional about it. Because you want to pick it up. Spare me from people who want to pick and choose their crosses. Ah, I might be a little feisty, but this is seven years into this thing, giving life, sweat, and blood for this stuff. I don't want to hear more people coming with their nonsense about this is how I serve the Lord. I'm looking for soldiers who will pick up the cross together so we can do the will of God together. Number two is, you want to be like John the Baptist, you got to remove distractions and hindrances. He lived a simple life. Why? Because he doesn't want to get distracted with all the stuff. I don't want to get weird, but Christmas is all about getting stuff. More stuff. So we can be more empty in a couple of weeks. Have you noticed your kids will play with that thing for two weeks and then they play with the boxes? And you're like, I paid a lot of money for that thing. Hey, you are playing with the boxes. Why? Because it's distractions. Now, don't get me wrong. Buy your kids stuff. Please do. (laughs) Okay, we're in America. You can afford it. Buy your kids stuff. But I'm talking about life. There's a lot of distractions. Listen, when eternity comes around, we're going to find out, wow, I've spent a lot of time doing absolutely nothing. Just distracted. No one cares about the distractions. But we think they're so significant. But when we think about eternity, it just really doesn't matter. I will never regret spending my time serving the church. But I'll regret spending my time wasting time. That's for effect. Hindrances is the things that are restricting the will of God over your life. There are things that we put in our lives that is restricting God from moving in your life. I'll talk more about that next week. Hebrews chapter 12 says, remove all hindrances that's holding you back from running the race that God set for you. It's hard to run a race when you're wearing a lot of things on. This is why runners have those little tiny shorts. (laughs) It's a terrible image. Remember one time I was at the gym, this guy next to me is wearing this little tiny shirt. I couldn't focus. He's running hard with his little tiny shorts. I'm like, are you wearing your girl's shorts? Like, (laughs) 
but he was running better than me. <laughs> he had no hindrances. The man was free. <laughs> That's the picture that the Bible gives you. Like, like shed weight, shed stuff. It's getting in the way. If you belong to Jesus, then your schedule is his, not yours. Like, shed. I was talking to a businessman the other day, and we were talking about the power of giving, how only those who give actually understand the power of it. Like, when you're a business person, when you give into God, God's blessing your business. And those who have business, you know what I'm talking about. But it's when you think I have to hoard it, that you end up losing it and be frustrated because you're not trusting God. That's a hindrance. Finances can be a hindrance when you're not, you don't have God in the picture. Like your kids who are supposed to be a blessing become a hindrance because you don't have the right spirit. Ministry can become a hindrance when you don't have the right spirit. So remove all distractions and hindrances and it's not one size fits all. We all gotta be honest before the Lord. And number three is embrace your role. Embrace your role. My prayer is I don't want to be more or less than what God wants me to be and do. Embrace your role. And play it well. You know, we're in New England. We love our patriots. What is the slogan of the patriots is do your job. Do your job. That's why some people can't play well with the patriots because they won't do their job. They want to do more than that. And Belichick's like, no. Let's do your job here. That's what we do here. Even if you're Tom Brady, you got to go. See? He's not the Messiah. Hey, if you go in my office, I have a thing for the people when we hire people. And number 10 says, you are replaceable. So do your job in a way that we don't want to replace you. Everyone is replaceable. I'm replaceable. I want to do my job in a way that God doesn't want to replace me. So I want, I want to embrace my role and do it well. I have, a, I have a thing. I don't care what other churches are doing. I don't care what the preachers are doing. I just want to be faithful to what God called me to do. And then the last point today is invest in what matters, which is people. Do you know what John the Baptist was doing? He was preparing the way for people to meet Jesus. That's what he was doing. That's all he was doing. He was baptizing and preaching so people could meet Jesus. And when the time came, he recognized Jesus. He said, okay, I did my job. When it's all said and done, that's what your investment is all about, is how many people did you prepare the way for? That's what you want to hear when, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you are done here. He's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Like, look how many people you prepare the way for. He won't care how many Instagram followers you have. That doesn't translate into influence. It's how many people did you prepare the way. How many people can talk about your life and think about Jesus? Because I don't think we're doing our job if people walk away and just talk about us. I had to put a desire in someone to follow Jesus. 
They may not understand it all, but man, don't you love it when people go, and I just heard the story again this week, when someone who doesn't know you go, man, there's something different about you. That's the greatest compliment you can receive. Something about you. Because you're so focused on investing in people. That's the greatest investment you will ever make is in people. That's why I will never be able to regret doing what I do. It's, it's all to invest in people. Whether people get it or not, that's on them. But I, I want to know that I'm investing in what matters. Like I said, Tuesday and Wednesday, we're having Christmas services to point people to Jesus. The greatest thing all of us can do is bring one. Like that should burn out us. God, give me one. Give me one so I can say I've invested. I've had this thing happen to me lately. I'm getting a lot of calls from, from kids that I used to be the youth pastor 15 years ago in Rhode Island. Just got a call yesterday. A kid that I haven't talked to in years. I'm calling you because I need help. When you invest in people, they'll remember you. Because that's what matters people. For God so loved people that he came in the form of a baby and lived and died and rose again so you and I and more people can come to know Jesus. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, my friends. If we're not doing that, we'll get distracted. We'll get into church politics. We'll get into who's more holy who's more right, who should have a parking spot, who took my parking spot, who took my seat. I didn't like that message, as opposed to, God, what do you want me to do with that message? Church becomes about all the other stuff. The enemy will love that. Hey, make it about everything else. Just don't make it about people. Because once you're saved, your greatest desire would be, can I see other people saved? It's not how comfortable can I get. Because this thing is not comfortable. It's how uncomfortable, God, can you make me so that others can receive you. If we stop asking those questions, we've crossed over from following Jesus to being religious. I did the religious thing. I went, I checked my box, I went home. I'm a good guy. You could be a good guy, but you ain't no John the Baptist. Not even close. So I end with his prayer. John the Baptist's prayer should burn in us. I pray it burns in you. His prayer was powerful. Here's John the Baptist's prayer. I pray you make it your prayer today. Look, he must become greater. I must become less. That's not what we're talking about in our society. We're talking about I must be the man. John the Baptist is like, no. I want Jesus to be the man. I just want to play my role. Not in a false humility, praise the Lord, hallelujah. No, in a real, actionable way. God, I want to play my role. Would you stand with me this morning as we pray? We need more John the Baptist in our society, in our churches. Lately, it... I hear more people saying, how can I do less? Then I hear people say, how can I serve more? Sad. 
it's true. We'll become the kids in school. What's the least I can do with the past? That's what I'm seeing. What's the least I can do so I can feel, so I can, you know, get rid of my guilty conscience? So I can say I did it. That's a sad way to live. I was a teacher. That's kids always concerned me. So I'm like, if you have that man- mindset at 15, you're going to have it at 20, and then you're going to have it when you get married, and then you're going to have it when you have kids. What's the least I can do to be a dad? What's the least I can do to be a husband? I don't know about you, man. It's a short window of opportunity to do as much as I can to bless God and bless people. And I pray, this is our prayer today. Lord, less about me. It's boring. I'm boring when I make it about me. Make it about you. And you know what the secret is? Those people are the happy ones. They're the ones with joy because they get it. It's not about me. Never was. It never will be. And then the joy of the Lord comes and fills them. Because the Lord says, yeah, that's a vessel I can use. Wouldn't you want to be more like John the Baptist? Do you want that to be the cry of your heart? Lord, I want to be useful. I want to be a blessing. Would you pray that with me today? Would you bow your heads and, and pray your own prayer of saying, Lord, I want to be like John the Baptist. I want to hear you compliment me. Well done. Well done. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.